on the line. Live on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goetz and Carter Bird. You're on the line here in the Auburn Network studio. Carter Bird solo in today's show. Jacob Goins is on the road. He's uh, got the day off today. I think he's going to a concert here uh, over in the state of Georgia. And uh, so he'll be doing that. On the, He's on the road here today. Uh, we've got a great show for you here today on On the Line here on, uh, at ESPN 106.7. And we're going to start it off by throwing it to our good friends at Braves today with with Ben Taylor and of Auburn Palaka this morning here on uh here at our network of stations and uh with Lindsey Crosby of Locked On MLB Prospects they talked about the Braves wrapping up their series with the Marlins and getting set for a massive series with the New York Mets He's Lindsey Crosby. I'm Ben Taylor. Braves underscore today on the Twitter. Uh, other than that, you just go to bravestoday.com and find us there. Uh, Lindsey, let's go ahead and jump right into it. Mentor, mentor, mentor. I said going into the Marlins series, I really don't want him seeing the mound. Give him the rest. He's seen way too many, made way too many appearances. Uh, you brought those numbers up to me before we got on the air. I really want him to take a break. I don't. I mean, I like literally leave him in Atlanta when they go to New York this weekend. <laughs> and I'm not saying that like because I hate him. Right, I'm saying right. that because I think he's just. I think he's spent right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, this game was his 13th appearance of the season, and I mean, you've not played a ton of games, mm. and like the pace is unsustainable. His high in appearances was last year was 75, and you could see that even then. That was too much. He was wearing down. A typical reliever is looking at, you know, 60 appearances is kind of normal. But already being at 12 right now has him on track to hit that 75 mark. And it's it's too much. He threw twice in this series. Uh, and just about every series, he's thrown multiple days, including, not this time, but including a lot of back-to-backs. Mm. And it's just something where you've got to give him a break. Colin McHugh is back. So he can take some innings. Rizal Iglesias is on a rehab assignment in Gwinnett right now. So he'll be back soon. You can give uh, uh, A.J. Minter a little bit of a break just to let the arm rest and kind of get his mind right again after he's had a couple blown saves here. He had the save a couple of nights ago, but then I told you the final game of the Marlins series, that was one of those things where four to nothing, you're heading into the ninth, and I'm sitting there going, oh, okay, we're good. I start doing stuff around the house. I come back. There's a run on the board. I don't think anything of it. Next thing I know, I come back, sit down. There's another run on the board, another couple of runs on the board. And at that point, I was. I was like, Yankee, get get him out of there. Yeah. Uh, why is somebody not up there? Uh, clearly, he was throwing grapefruits up there. And I want to be completely clear. <clears throat> I do not want you to sit him because of his performance. I want you to sit him because he's tired. Now, that's that's at the point that I'm at right now. So it's inexcusable, in my opinion. Uh, he It was not any errors, any fielding issues. Uh, I do think at the end of the ball game, even Ronald Acuna tried to, he tried to get to a ball. 
he probably could have cut it off better if he'd have taken the angle, but I think he was going to try to lay out and try to make a game-saving diving catch at the end. So that ball goes to the wall, two-run score off of that, and it just it just compiled and got worse from there. And then the bottom of the ninth hitting order just didn't do anything. I don't even think they put the ball in play at all, hardly. So uh, it was it's just something that it leaves a bad taste in your mouth before you head to New York. Yeah, I mean, you have a great games one through three of the series. Obviously, you, I mean, you, you scored plenty of runs. You held the Marlins off the board for the most part, <laughs> other than some solo shots last night. And then this happens in game four. It's, it's not a great start, but heading to New York, you have the ability to kind of reset. You get to refocus because you're facing a good team, one of your rivals, and your rotation kind of lines up a lot better than theirs does as far as uh, who's going to go. And, and yep. you feel, have to feel like you have the advantage, even though you are going to New York with the lineup over the weekend. I will say this, uh, and, and you'd mentioned it too a little bit earlier with me. Um, this is we're already starting out on the wrong foot because of a delay that took place uh, with with Atlanta with with rain uh, that moved through the area three hours and 20 minutes, whatever it was uh, that they got started late. Uh, that messes with travel plans. Uh, that messes with everything from meal time to you know getting to the ballpark probably at a different hour tomorrow because they're going to allow them to sleep a little bit, rest, and try to get uh, try to mix it up. So mm-hmm. um, it it's not starting out great for the Braves who head to New York and, and New York is you know they're licking their chops to get a shot at the Braves even though we make fun of the Mets always metting that, that the Mets are going to met uh, they still get they've done this for years. I mean the, mm-hmm. the, everything from the the chipper days of Larry, 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 they already can't stand Acuna because they think he's flashy, even though they've got their own flashy issues, but they don't seem to care about that. They just point at him. Uh, so the Braves have got a, they got a hill to climb. Yeah, uh, for, for the Mets, this is their Super Bowl. I mean, mm-hmm. they are they are geared up for this. They are ready to go. Uh, there's been discussion about Max Scherzer's suspension, suspended for 10 games after the, the ejection, automatic suspension, and uh, there are rumors that the reason he dropped the appeal was so that if the suspension would start immediately, he would be back and available for game four versus the Braves. If that kind of tells you how big of a deal this is to the Mets and arguably how much bigger of a deal it is to the Mets than it is to the Braves. To the Braves, this is just another series against a good team. To the Mets, again, this is their Super Bowl. But uh, Braves will have Kyle Wright. I'm sorry, uh, Max Freed on mm-hmm. Friday night. You love having your Friday night guy uh, versus David Peterson, matchup with the lefties. Saturday, you're looking at Tyler Miguel for the Mets versus Spencer Strider. Mm-hmm. That'll be a, a, a Fox broadcast in the middle of the afternoon. Uh, Sunday is a day game, Charlie Morton versus Jose Butto. And then Monday, the, the afternoon getaway, 110 Eastern, Bryce Elder versus, they haven't announced it, but versus Max Scherzer for the final game of the series. Yeah, they don't have him in there right now. Um, I've told you before, I think Scherzer, I'm not a Met fan by any means. I think he totally got railroaded. Uh, Those of you that have seen examples of what all took place and him, and if you haven't heard the story, if you've been under a rock or just not paying attention because it's the Mets and they're out of market and you just didn't really uh, follow it, uh, he was asked why. He got warned all three innings before he was ejected in the fourth. Uh, He had to switch gloves at one point. He had to wash his hands and the protocol now is you wash your hands with basically rubbing alcohol and then since their hands sweat then he puts rosin on his hands and alcohol and rosin do not mix 
And so it creates a tacky stickiness. It actually, it basically leads to pitchers cheating the more the umpires make them wash their hands. Yeah. And if you have not seen the video of David Cohn showing an example of that, at one point in time, he literally held a ball up with just two fingers in the ball, and, the, and that was from him washing his hands once. That's not doing it three times on three different innings and still getting busted. So uh, I'm Scherzer did it just because, as you said, I'm with you. I think he dropped the appeal because he just wants to play. And pitchers serving 10 games as opposed to Ronald Acuna serving 10 games are two different things because they still count the pitchers even if they're in a five-day rotation, five-man rotation, then those games count even though they never are yeah. going to see the field anyway. You miss two starts in yeah. essence. And so that's what it seems like he's done. Again, as Lindsey said, they haven't announced that that he's going to be pitching Scherzer. Uh, Max Scherzer is going to be pitching on Monday. Uh, but I got a sneaky suspicion that's who we're going to see um, take the hill, take the bump for uh, for the Mets. And uh, who knows if the Braves get started off on the wrong foot. The best news is what you just said, Freed getting things started on Friday night. Yeah, I mean, the way he's been playing. Having Freed and Strider one and two has to make you feel really good. Freed is technically only one and zero on the year because he hasn't had as many starts, mm-hmm. but his ERA point six zero. And then right behind him, Spencer Strider three and zero with a one eight zero ERA. Spencer Strider leads all of baseball in strikeouts per nine innings. Him and Jacob Degrom are kind of neck and neck. And then I want to say they're in the they're in the fourteens. And yep. then after them, it's Shohei Otani, like right around 12 strikeouts per nine. Like it's just mm-hmm. Spencer Strider's on another plane of existence right now. And so having those two guys leading off the series make me feel really good when we make our predictions a little bit later mm-hmm. that the Braves are going to at least win two of these games simply because you have your two best guys going against uh, their two of their guys that have a collective ERA added together of almost 10. Yep. Uh, I will say that uh, the Braves, during the Marlins series, you mentioned it, uh, going back a little bit, uh, they had a great first three games. I really thought they were going to walk away with a sweep, probably should have, except for, the uh, again, blowing it by Mentor in the in the ninth. Um, but other than that, everybody looked good. Uh, you know, Olsen, he's still swinging at some bad pitches, it seems like. Uh, and uh, I don't know what his numbers were strikeout-wise because he did have a couple of, of big big knocks that uh, really helped the Braves out. Acuna still is absolutely on fire and doesn't seem like anybody has his number or can figure out what to do with him. Ronald Acuna Jr. is, I mean, he's on the top of the leaderboards for multiple different categories at this point. He's, he's leading in hits. He's leading in plate appearances. He's leading in stolen bases. He's leading in runs scored. Uh, he is absolutely playing like the MVP candidate that we know he can be uh, and hit a home run the other day. So he's doing the other half of the 40-40 tracker. At this rate, he may have 40 steals by the All-Star break yeah. at this rate. And then you're just looking at getting the home runs in the back half of the of the schedule. He is uh, just, I mean, the complete package. He's making things happen defensively. He is running this offense. And provided that some of the guys behind him can do some work, we saw Austin Riley strike out four times on yeah. um, on Thursday. But provided that those guys can have just standard games, average games, the Braves are going to score plenty of runs. I really want Riley to step it up a little bit. Acuna's doing his job, as we talked about. Uh, and, and Olsen's doing... Probably layman's work. He's still not doing as what what my expectations are for him. But uh, as you and I mentioned a couple of pods ago, I can't complain that much. I asked for a 260 to 285 guy. That's what I'm getting right now. Uh, I just can really do without the strikeouts and him leaving guys out there at second base and leaving guys. Because that's the thing. When Acuna makes his way around the third, just find a way to get in the ball of the air. 
Like yeah. he a short fly ball, Acuna's going to make it to the plate unless somebody's just got an absolute hose in the outfield. And see, Acuna's smart enough; he knows what player that is. So he's not. He we've seen it already this year. He hasn't tested some arms, but then others, he doesn't think twice about it. He knows that number one, they can't get it there, and if they do, they're you know the percentages of being on target are just not that great. So he doesn't worry about it. So uh, it, you know those guys step up a little bit. It could be this could be one of those. I don't want to say make or break here. We're way too far early in the season to talk about this, but I really don't want the momentum of the last game of the Marlins series to go over into New York. Freed have finally have an off night and it start out on the wrong foot. Striders do for an off night. It continue on the wrong foot. And then Scherzer pitching on Monday, uh, which is probably going to happen, can make things even worse before it's all said and done with. Yeah. I think the Braves are fortunate with the way the line, the, rotation breaks out. Mm. I don't think we're going to see uh, the big stumble from both Freed and Strider. Strider did struggle a little bit early. A lot of mm-hmm. people kind of, because he's been so good recently, he had kind of talked about after the first start or two, he had been trying to pace himself so he could go deeper into games, feeling like he needed to eat more innings as one of the, you know, the only healthy pitchers that we had. And uh, they kind of talked to him a bit and said, Hey, just let it eat, do your thing. We'll take care of the rest. And since then he's been back to Spencer Strider from last year. So I feel like he's kind of gotten a little bit of the not great stuff out of his system. Uh, I, I, I feel really good about picking at least a two, two split, if not a three, one series win by Atlanta. I will go two, two split. I don't think it's three. I think we go in uh, the Mets are two and a half back. Now I think they remain two and a half back. I think it's a two and two split uh, as we get back from uh, New York, which I honestly, I would take that. I would call that a win. That's not losing any ground. And Mm -hmm. so I'll take that. What I want to totally avoid is number one, a sweep. I don't know that's going to happen. Braves 10 and two on the season right now on the road. Uh, So if they can continue that hot streak of being that hot on the road, which they seem to, uh, seem to kind of take joy in, then uh, we could be looking at a brave sweep uh, as as the best outcome that that takes place. And uh, and I got to tell you, with what took place in the ninth on the final game, Snitaker is usually the type that he's kind of a a guy that says says his mind in the locker room and in the clubhouse. And he may look at him and go, "This is unacceptable. This can't happen." And it may rejuvenate him a little bit. And he'll remind him of their ten and two record and this the expectations that come away from New York. So I still say two two split. Yeah, two two split feels safe. I'd, I'd love again. I'd love three one. I feel like two two is the safest way to do it. Just simply looking at the pitching matchups and how good this offense is, and especially how good Ronald Acuna has been. Knowing that the Mets are kind of an unspoken thing people don't talk about, the Mets are missing their starting catcher Omar Narvaez right now, yeah. and so you have a an offensive first catcher and a rookie that's back there playing along with a career backup catcher. So I feel good about the ability to take some stolen bases, even though a lot of stolen bases are on the pitchers, not the catchers. I still feel good about Acuna's chances of making havoc on the base paths. I'll predict three stolen bases this weekend, and I'm probably going to be too low. Yeah, that probably will be with, with Acuna. He's Lindsey Crosby. I'm Ben Taylor. It's Braves Today, bravestoday.com or Braves underscore today on Twitter. Lindsey, as always, I greatly appreciate it, sir. Thanks for having me. Chop on. That was Ben Taylor of Auburn Obliga this morning and Lindsey Crosby of Locked On MLB Prospects uh, with Braves today doing their podcast. Wrapping up that Marlin series that the Braves were so hot in for the first three games, uh, even with a little comeback victory, and then just found a way to uh, very uncharacteristically choke away game four. Uh, as they get set for a huge four-game set against the Mets uh, this weekend that actually ends 
on Monday. That series starts tonight. We're going to hit our first break of our number one. When we come back, we're going to talk question of the day pertaining to the NFL draft and maybe get our good buddy Jacob Goins on the line. You are on the line on ESPN 1067, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. Welcome back to the Friday edition of On the Line. Carter Bird uh, soloing it in the studio today because my good buddy Jacob Goins, he's on the road uh, as he is. He's got a concert he's going to tonight, so I hope he has a good time with that. Speaking of Jacob Goins, we do have him on the line right now, so want to welcome him in. Jacob, welcome into the show, man. How's the uh, drive going, buddy? Drive's going fantastic. Uh, I'm actually, for once, Carter, I'm not working when I had to leave you solo in the show. I'm uh, taking a little trip up to Alpharetta, going to see uh, Cody Johnson tonight in concert. So excited for that and excited to not be working on the road for once and uh, thankful that you're able to hold it down back there at home. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, you know, traditionally this segment, we go into our question of the day. And uh, if if our listeners want to call in, that phone number is 334-321-1390. Jacob? I kind of want to start with the NFL draft because it was the dominant thing in the sports world last night. And yeah. let's start with what was the biggest surprise of the first round for you? Well, I think there's two of them uh, for me. The obvious one uh, is the the one that we talked about yesterday with Chris Gordy, host of the Locked on SEC podcast, where... We talked about a chance of seeing four or five SEC quarterbacks get taken in the first round, but one of those names that did not hear his name called was Will Levis, the quarterback from Kentucky who did not get drafted in the first round to the shock of pretty much everybody, man. I mean, look, we talked about at one point the odds for him to go number one overall skyrocketed because of somebody making a Reddit post that he was going to get taken yeah. number one overall, and then... He ends up not being drafted in the first round. I think that's the biggest surprise. One hundred percent. Not because, not because I think he'll be a, just like a legendary quarterback in the NFL. I think he has potential, but he just got so much hype coming out of Kentucky and so much talk about where he was going to be if he was going to go number one overall or be a top five or a top fifteen or and it didn't really seem there was any worry about him not being a first-round draft pick. So I think that was obviously the biggest surprise for me. But the other one, Carter, how about B. John Robinson, the running back from Texas, going number eight overall to the Atlanta Falcons? And not that he's not good, but that's really high for a running back, and I'm surprised he was the first running back taken, to be honest with you. I'm not shocked that he was first back taken. He's the best back in this draft, I think, hands down. I think he is a really special talent, and... But I will say, eight felt unbelievably high. But also, yeah. if there was a coach that I think was going to take a back that early, Arthur Smith, the Falcons head coach, he'd be on that list because he uh, has kind of said, forget the analytics side of things that tell you to pass on early downs and pass more often because you score more points and it makes your offense better. It makes life easier on your quarterback. He wants to run the ball like 40 times a game. And and so it's not shocking <laughs> yeah. to me to see him take B. John Robinson. I'll say I do think Will Levis um, falling out of the first round was shocking. I mean, I think they flashed 
a couple graphics there that at 20, at 20, and I don't ask me how, I guess they run all these simulations of based on need and how these teams draft. Uh, they run all these simulations. When they got to the 20th pick, they said that there was a 1% chance that Will Levis w- would, in all their simulations, still be available at that point in the draft. Wow. Then they flashed another graphic at 25 and said there was a 0.1% chance that he would still be available at 25. Obviously, hmm. he was not picked in the first 32 picks, or 31 picks, rather. Um, interestingly enough, the the um, ESPN website does have 32 picks on the board, even though there was just 31 because the Dolphins had to forfeit that pick. So that's shocking to see him fall, especially with the fact I thought for sure at the very end, maybe with that Chiefs pick or or any of those picks at the very end of the first round, somebody was going to trade back in and take Will Levis to get that fifth-year option because I think that fifth-year option is so much more valuable with a quarterback to be able to have control over him for five years. But the fact that nobody did, I thought was a little bit surprising. We saw quarterbacks in three of the first four picks, Jacob, and then we didn't see another one for the rest of the first round. How about that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you saw obviously Bryce Young go number one overall. Everybody pretty much expected that. C.J. Stroud uh, going to the Texans, I think. uh, Chris Gordy lied to us. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I know he did. Chris Gordy did lie to us, and he got—he was giving us some bad information. But <laughs> no, I'm kidding. He—he's uh, always great. But yeah, CJ Stroud. I think he'll be the best quarterback in this class. I think he has the highest ceiling. I think he's just the most ready right now. I think he's uh, the most so polished yeah, saw- and most ready. I don't think he has the highest ceiling. I think that belongs to Anthony R- Richardson because if you put it together Rich- with him, if you put it together yeah, with Rich- him, and you have a coach. Uh, Shane Steichen, the new head coach for the Colts, he just did all of this with Jalen Hurts and turned him into an MVP candidate and took them to the help take that offense to the Super Bowl. If he can do something yeah. similar with a guy who I think is a better natural quarterback and a better just processor coming out of college, I think Anthony Richardson absolutely has the highest ceiling of any of these quarterbacks. And your your guys got him. You got your guy, huh? How you feeling I'm about that? I'm so happy that if it wasn't going to be, I mean, it, I wanted Stroud or Richardson to the Colts, and when Stroud got taken second and the Texans were taking third, I felt really good all of a sudden. My fear was Will Levis because for whatever reason, everybody kept talking about Will Levis as a very much like a Colts guy He'd been linked to the Colts, all this stuff, and they took the risk. They took. They made the right choice. I'd rather have a GM like Chris Ballard, who, let's be honest, things just. I think he's a great GM. Things just have not panned out. I'd rather have him kind of go out on his shield by swinging for the fences, trying to hit that home run on a guy who could be a. I'm not saying they're the playing, same playing style. A Patrick Patrick Mahomes level impact player because of mm-hmm. because of his athletic ability, because of his size, because of his strength, because of how easy it it is for him to throw it deep. By the way, have you have you looked at the passing chart of his career at Florida? Florida did yeah. not throw the ball between zero and ten yards. Everything was down the field, which which doesn't make could, any sense. 
Well, he's a really good deep ball thrower, and he's a, he's yeah, really good at processing. Know. But I think I think that if they can develop that that sh- the short routes and marry that with his ability that he's already shown with the intermediate and deep routes, I think he has a chance to be an absolute superstar and the answer for the Colts for the next decade plus. I will say to piggyback off your B. John Robinson kind of shock. What about Jameer Gibbs at twelve? Yeah, how to about a team that? that already has David Montgomery and uh, DeAndre Swift. They yeah, have those are two, the only backs. two backs taken in the first round. Yeah, well, I, exactly. But and that makes sense because you're not supposed to take a take a back right. in the first round at all, much less yeah. two in the top twelve. That was shocking to me. Shocking yeah, to no, see I him agree. go that high. And then I would say that my my third kind of shocking thing is look at the value. This I feel like this is the second draft in a row. The Eagles, Jalen Carter falls from the number one available from a number one ranked player to number nine, and Nolan Smith falling to 31. Those were my shocks for the NFL draft. We need to get to our second break here of our number one. We come back, we will dive into some transfer portal news. Pertaining to Auburn, maybe? Here on On the Line. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Welcome back to the Friday edition of On the Line. Carter Bird in the uh, Auburn Network studio. Solo in the show in person, but I do have my co-host uh, on the phone line. Uh, I'm making a little drive right now in J- with Jacob Goins, and we just talked a little bit about the NFL draft. And Jacob, you had some some more thoughts before we transitioned out of that into uh, some maybe some Auburn news and some transfer portal news out there. Yeah, just want to wrap up. You know the the biggest shock of the first round, with it being Will Levis dropping out and not being drafted, uh, it, it's very Lamar Jackson esque, right? And what I mean by that is, if you remember when Lamar Jackson was entering the NFL draft, the hype around him coming out of Louisville was massive, right? And, and because they knew what he could be, obviously, look at what he's done in the NFL so far. But if you remember, he just kept dropping and dropping and dropping, and he was the last quarterback taken in that NFL draft. And so not saying that uh, Will Levis is going to become Lamar Jackson or anything, but I think the shock factor is there, and it's very, very similar to what we saw with Lamar Jackson in his draft year. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's we've seen situations like this before. They obviously were making a whole lot of comparisons to Aaron Rodgers on Twitter. Uh but we, we get a guy who just starts to fall like this every few years at the quarterback position, and then he we get the sad uh, the sad clips, the the close ups of him sitting with his family, and uh, they they actually were noticing uh, that that they were I guess they were in front of a TV, and every now and then they would glance at the camera or wave at the camera or whatever. Uh, as he was sitting there in the green room, it was, I mean, it's always uncomfortable when that, when that happens. What I was saying before we went to break, kind of ran out of time a little bit. Last year, I felt the Eagles had a phenomenal draft. And then this year, right now, I love what they've done because yeah. depending on where you look in draft rankings, Jalen Carter was a lot of these NFL draft experts, number one player in the draft in terms of pure on the field, 
Uh, I know there's off-the-field kind of shadows there, but if you get through all of that, he fell all the way to nine, and the Eagles took him. And then uh-huh. they went and got Nolan Smith at 31. I mean, I yeah, just feel like I, I, I think they, I think they killed it, man. I think they really, really nailed it with 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 those two guys, two guys that you know Jordan Hill of Dogs Two Four Seven has talked to us about all season long and all off season long, and just how good those guys really are, and how I mean, those are going to be long term NFL guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I one hundred percent agree. I think you've they they were talking about on ESPN how Nolan Smith has the best bend in the draft, how low he can get coming around the edge. And, of course, I mean, we know he's a freak athlete. He had a 40-inch vertical, and he ran a 4-3-something in the 40 as an outside linebacker, edge rusher kind of guy. So I think that you I mean you look at that, that Eagles defense now, they've got great guys coming off the edge. They've got veterans to teach a guy like Nolan Smith. In the middle of the defense, you've got Jalen Carter. You've got Jordan Davis, a couple Georgia D tackles uh, who were – Consider top players in the last two drafts. And at middle linebacker, you had N'Kobe Dean fall all the way to him in, what, round three last year? Half the defense is Georgia players now. I mean, you, you want to talk about chemistry, guys that know what each other are thinking. Four or five of these guys played on the same defense in 2021. And, I mean, I guess I guess when you look at it, yeah, it wouldn't be crazy to pick up maybe another uh, Georgia defensive player or or two. I mean, Keely Ringo's still sitting out there. So, I mean, who knows? Who yeah, knows, which really? Shows, which shows what they're doing at Athens, Georgia, right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they run the best defense in the country two years ago. It's arguably the best defense in college football history. Uh, certainly fascinating to watch them watch them produce talent, especially on the defensive end, and then watch... These NFL teams, how they specifically the Eagles, I guess, how they just are gobbling up all that, all those Georgia defenders because they're just so good NFL ready. It feels like each and every year. I kind of want to transition into the uh, some some news today. Yeah. We've, we've been waiting on maybe some sort of of quarterback news for Auburn that 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 maybe would point to what we've felt this entire time, which is the starting quarterback for Auburn in 2023 is not on the roster. Well, maybe, maybe we got news of that today because Casey Thompson, the Nebraska quarterback, formerly the Texas quarterback, he hit the portal. And I tell you what, the stats aren't going to really blow anybody away, but to me, they are unquestionably better than what Auburn has in that room. Casey Thompson is an upgrade over what Auburn has in that room right now. Which I feel like we've said that a lot with when the different names have come up on potential transfer portal quarterbacks for Auburn. Uh, But that's a combination of being there are some really good guys in the portal and Auburn's quarterback room is just not good right now. And so with Casey Thompson, a guy who... You said the numbers aren't going to blow you away. And I said this earlier on, nobody is going to jump up and down about a guy, a quarterback transfer from Nebraska, right? Because it's not the sexy name. It's not the sexy school. And it's just not going to, it's not going to be just the biggest breaking news of all time that Casey Thompson is A, in the transfer portal and B, if he does end up coming to Auburn. And so, 
But I think Auburn fans would be excited, and they should be excited, if Auburn is able to go after him and, and land him in the portal. And, and I know he's getting some interest from a couple of different schools, but I think he would come in and, and be a solid starter with room to grow. And I think that's what's really important about where Auburn stands in the quarterback room is everybody in the room has to grow and get better. But if you have the chance to go get somebody that's better than them but can still get better on his self and his own, then Auburn's really in business and you're looking at a quarterback for one or two years. And I think that's what you'll get in Casey Thompson, who has some size. He can throw the football. He's the most accurate quarterback, uh, more accurate than Auburn has right now. Oh, yeah, and he's a 63.5% completion percentage guy for his career. He, uh, the past two years playing in 22 games, he's right at 61 or 63.1, 63.2. He's thrown for over 4,000 yards, 4,500 yards the past two years combined, uh, 41 touchdowns, 19 interceptions. It's a little high. I do wonder how much of that is the product of. Look, I got to watch that Nebraska team last year. There was not a lot of help. Their offensive line was bad. Uh, as much as Scott Frost tried to make a big deal about the fact that their offensive linemen were uh, in fall camp, like puking like three, four times a day, which feels really unhealthy. And I don't know why that's a brag about your offensive line. Um, yeah, I was about to say, and, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't really be bragging about that. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, the, the weapons were not very good. Um, but the talent is there. I mean, he was... He was a talented player at Texas. Um, during part of that run, I guess he uh, he he was the starter for half of half of 2021 at Texas. He was a starter all of last year at Nebraska. I think he got a little banged up for a couple games, um, but I think he he is an immediate upgrade. And to give you an idea of of where it feels like this Auburn team is at right now where these tight ends and receivers are. The announcement from on three, the breaking Nebraska quarterback Casey Thompson has entered the NCAA transfer portal, was quote tweeted by Michael Riley Ducker and said, get that man on campus tonight. So I saw that. that yeah, should I give you that. a little bit of perspective of how these receivers and tight ends might be feeling. I think Casey Thompson would be a welcome addition to this um this Auburn roster, I think yeah. he stabilizes your – he brings your floor up. I think if you ran with Robbie Ashford, sure, I think the ceiling's probably eight wins. Maybe you can make an argument for nine wins, but I think the floor is probably five and seven. With Casey Thompson, the ceiling might still be eight wins. Again, maybe nine wins, but I think your floor moves up to six or seven wins. I think he – he improves this team. He is an, he's by far the most experienced option Auburn would have. I think he's the most talented option. I'm very fascinated to see just how aggressively Auburn pursues him. And, you know, I mean, I don't think they're going to be the, the only one. We've already heard when the rumors of Grayson McCall hit, we heard Florida mentioned, we heard Auburn mentioned. Um, I mean, if, if you look at the Florida depth chart, it makes sense because – Oh boy, that quarterback room is absolutely gross to look at. And you want to talk about a program that has to win. Florida, I mean, Florida and Billy Napier are in a situation where they, I mean, they got to win, man. They, they've got to win and get some wins early. And so, yeah, there's no doubt that Florida is going to be 
they're going to be in on just about any quarterback that they can get their hands on. And you bring up Grayson McCall, and look, we, we have talked about him and what he would do and bring to the Auburn quarterback room, to the Auburn football program, to the team right now. I mean, he would raise, you talk about the ceiling, Carter, Grayson McCall would raise the ceiling to what could be nine or ten wins because of just how special he is at the quarterback position. And I don't want Auburn fans to to have the mindset of, well, it's either Grayson McCall or bust when it comes to a quarterback in the portal. And if a guy like Casey Thompson does come to Auburn, I don't want Auburn fans to be disappointed and realize and think that Auburn can't be good because it's not Grayson McCall. Casey Thompson's a really solid guy. He's a good quarterback. And you were talking about the comparisons of him versus, let's say, Robbie Ashford, if he were to be the starter. You'll see less mistakes from from that quarterback in the portal versus what you're going to get with Robbie Ashford. Let's just be honest. I mean, Robbie Ashford's still young. His accuracy's still a question mark, which, again, that's not a good thing as a quarterback. And I think if Auburn is able to go and get Thompson and beat out other schools if they're interested, I think it would raise the level of the floor and the ceiling, no doubt. Yeah, 100%. And I know that there are going to be other schools involved. There's there's going to be a bunch of schools that offer uh, a guy like Casey Thompson now that he's in the portal. And I, to me, if I were looking for the biggest threat to this Auburn, this Auburn staff and uh, Auburn's chances of landing him, I do look at Florida. Because when you look at that... Um, that quarterback room at Florida. We know Anthony Richardson is gone. We know Jaden Rashada never actually made it to campus, and that was such a bizarre, weird storyline with his NIL money. He's now at Arizona State. Jalen Kitna is not on the team anymore for um, legal reasons. We're just going to say that. I don't want to go into it anymore. So they're left with, right now, two quarterbacks – they have, I think, any experience, and that's Jack Miller the third, who, if you recall, played in their bowl game and didn't look great. He had 22 pass attempts last year, and I think they were pretty much all in the bowl game. Yeah, they were all in the bowl game. He was 13 of 22, 180 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, in a game where they got, what, beat 30-3 to and kicked a field yeah, goal as time expires to, to keep their streak alive of not being shut out, and it was the saddest <laughs> thing I've ever seen. Yeah, The other one? is Graham Mertz out of Wisconsin, who, let me just say this, I mean, Graham Mertz had a great first game and then all of a sudden became, started vaulting up Heisman boards his uh, in that 2020 season. He's not a good quarterback. He's a 59.5% completion guy. He's not mobile. So, I mean, if you're going to be 59.5%, you better have some legs like Robbie Ashford. But he's a guy right. who has thrown over three seasons, over... Uh, 32 games, 30, I'm not counting his two games as a true freshman where he threw nine passes and was nine of 10. The last three years over 32 games, he has 38 touchdown passes and 26 interceptions. And he's thrown for 5,400 yards, basically across three seasons worth of games. Yeah, that's just not, that's not the stats you're looking for if you're Florida. And it's crazy because you look at Florida, who has two quarterbacks with experience, and then you look at Tuscaloosa, the conversation we had yesterday, they've got five. So it's crazy to see the comparison and the difference, but it brings back the question, and I think we talked about this, and this may have been when I sat in on the drive late last week with Dan Peck. 
As of right now, and Carter, I want your answer on this and our listeners too, 334-321-1390. As a transfer, we'll just say a quarterback right now, if you enter the portal and the University of Florida and Auburn University both give you a phone call, Billy Napier from Florida gives you a call and says, hey, we'd love to have you, and Hugh Freeze from Auburn gives you a call and says, hey, we'd love to have you. As a transfer portal quarterback looking to get better as a quarterback, try to compete for a championship, and try to get to the NFL, in all honesty, which phone call are you going to answer first? And which place are you going to go right now, Florida or Auburn? And I know we're an Auburn station and we're an Auburn show, but take the bias out of it. I'm going to Auburn right now because the, the, the mojo, if you will, the, it's all on the way up right now because you're getting out of a very dark era at the end yep. of Gus Malzahn and what was Brian Harson, and you're coming out of that with Hugh Freeze, and it's almost like a new life, and Auburn has been reborn, whereas what I mentioned at the beginning of this segment, whereas Florida and Billy Napier, he better win some games this year, buddy, because if he doesn't, the people in Gainesville are going to be on him very, very hard. And so if you're a transfer portal quarterback, Auburn's the more attractive place right now, and I don't think it's close. Yeah, I mean, I 100% agree with you, and I'm looking at Florida's schedule right now. It's not going to be pretty, buddy. It's really not. No, it's not. Because it's going to be rough. You want to know how they open next year? It, I can't remember. I know it's bad. I can't remember what it is. It's at Utah. Yikes. No shot they win that game. Utah is going no. to be coming for blood in that game because Utah feels that Probably that loss at Florida last year that Utah should have won kept them out of being in contention for uh, potentially a playoff as the season progressed. Then they get McNeese, so they'll beat McNeese. Okay. Then they get Tennessee. Tennessee's going to beat them in their place. Then they get Charlotte. They'll win that. Then they're on the road at Kentucky. They're not going to win that. They're not going to win that on the road this next year because at the quarterback position, Kentucky has Devin Leary. Florida has Graham Mertz. Then you look at Vanderbilt. I mean, they'll win that at home, I think. But then they're at South Carolina. That Spencer Rattler in that South Carolina team is really trending in the right direction, especially late in the year. We saw how dynamic and how really good they they were. I mean, that's brutal. You really will be 2-3 and three going to your bye week. And you want to know how you come out of your bye week? You get Georgia. Then you get Arkansas at home. Then you're at LSU. Then you're at Missouri. Then you're Florida State at home. This Florida Man. team is going five and seven at best. At best, yeah, it's going to be rough. Hey, it's going to be really bad. And, be and, when, and when he goes and five and I'm seven, thinking. when he goes five and seven and doesn't make a bowl game in year two after going six and seven in year one, with the way that fan base has overreacted to everything, I think he'll be gone. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. So as a transfer quarterback, do you want to walk into that situation? Absolutely not. There's no chance. Yeah, I mean it's gonna be it's gonna be a mess. It's gonna be interesting, and I cannot wait to watch that Florida team this year because I think it could be an absolute dump dumpster fire. We need to get to our final break of hour number one, Jacob. Hopefully, we're gonna keep you on and talk uh, maybe a little bit of Braves because there's a big yeah. series this weekend. You are on the line on ESPN 106.7. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll-free at 888-382-7502. Welcome back to the Friday edition of On the Line. Carter Bird in the Auburn Network studio and Jacob Goins uh, on the phone lines. Jacob, quickly, because we only have like a couple minutes here left. The Braves, 
dropped a head scratcher yesterday. Uh, four nothing lead going to the top of the ninth, and AJ Minter uh, gives up five earned runs, and they lose game four of their series against the Marlins after winning the first three, um, thanks to a couple single or three singles and a double, uh, a double by Auburn's uh, former Auburn alum Garrett Cooper uh, to win that game for the Marlins. How do you feel about that, and how do you feel as the Braves head to this Mets series that ends on Monday, a four-game set? Yeah, I mean, a tough a tough way to lose the series, or, I mean, lose the final game of the series against the Marlins. You still win the series three three games out of four. Uh, with the weather delay that was going on, and it's always weird, and you just don't know how, how a team's going to respond with such a long delay. I mean, it was, it was well over an hour, I, I believe, and so... You just never know how that's going to end. And so, I don't know. If you're a Braves fan, I don't think you should worry too much about it. You still get to win over the Marlins in the series. But now you got to turn your focus to the New York Mets as you go on the road to play at City Field. And, mm-hmm. and honestly, for the Braves, I mean, look, the Mets are not great right now, but they're starting to figure some things out. Yep. And you're on the road in New York. So, I think if you're the Braves, if you can go up and split the series, I think that's a, a good ask, and I think that would be a successful trip on the road. Yeah, I think I think getting two out of out of these next four is absolutely huge. Kind of keep that keep them at arm's length, two games back of you. What you absolutely cannot have happen, you cannot get swept. That would be a yeah. disaster to have a well, four game swing in the standings. You need to to make sure honestly, you need to take these first two in my mind because you know you've got game four, you've got Scherzer in there, but these first two games You've got Freed on the mound. You've got Strider on the mound. You need to go get these first two and 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 at least wrap up the split as soon as possible. Yep, no doubt. And the Mets are pitching some big names this weekend. So hopefully the Braves can get the split and, and just stay put. But, Carter, I appreciate you having me on. And uh, hold down the fort now. We're number two. I think Jack Hudson is going to be joining you. And uh, maybe you guys will have something interesting to talk about coming up in a few minutes. Yeah, absolutely, man. You, you have fun on your drive and at your concert tonight. And we will uh, catch up with you on Monday. That was Jacob Goins. That's going to do it for hour number one. We come back. Jack Hudson in the studio. And hopefully, hopefully... Some, some news out there. You are on the line. Live on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird. You're on the line here in the Auburn Network studio. Carter Bird. Uh, solo in the show for the first hour in studio. We had Jacob Goins on the phone uh, as he's on his drive to um, he's on his drive to a concert in Alpharetta, I believe. Uh, second hour, we are joined by our normal uh, Friday second hour uh, guest, Jack Hudden. Jack, welcome in, buddy. How hey, are bro. you? Hey, You making a call to the bullpen today, man? Yeah, well, I mean, you're I, you're always here. You're always here to to add to the friday show and make it better so i mean i guess we're we're down a man we are we are like uh when you have all of your guys foul out and you're having to play with four uh against yeah, a team when everybody else has five 
Just call me Colin Sexton against uh, <laughs> when, when was it that Alabama did that? They were like five on three against that's was like Minnesota that. or something. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah, no, it was uh, very, very funny uh, when that <laughs> happened. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's been an interesting day because we, we did get some news. If you if you want to uh, jump into it, some potential news that could affect Auburn. Casey Thompson, the quarterback from Nebraska, hit the portal. Potentially a guy Auburn could look at. Yep. Jack, what are your what are your thoughts there? Yeah, so this was a guy that last go round in the in the portal, um, he was actually a guy that this the previous staff looked at pretty hard and I think a lot of Auburn fans wanted him to come in. Of course you remember he was at Texas um back in twenty twenty. He kinda had a couple of games where he really kind of made himself onto the scene, um, or he brought himself onto the scene a little bit later in that season. Last year at Nebraska, he goes for 2,400 yards, 17 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. Uh, but he is that dual threat kind of mobile quarterback that Hugh Freeze is is probably looking for in his offense. And so um, this is a guy that I think Auburn will certainly pursue. Um, and I could see them, I could see them being a big player in this because apparently the report is. That Casey Thompson's pretty interested in Auburn. Yeah, I mean, I saw that there was an article on uh, on Auburn Daily by uh, I think it was Zach Blackerby. I think he was the one that wrote this one. Uh, he has a source uh, that is talking about how he is interested in Auburn, uh, and that source believes that there are about six schools interested. Uh, they're not fully listed. We know Auburn is on that list, and the quote is. I know he won't be in the portal long. We know Auburn has a need at quarterback. That's been one of the more glaring needs on this roster. I think if I had to guess another school in that six that has a clear need, Florida. Sure. Because Florida has Graham Mertz. and Heard you guys talking about that. And the, the, what's the his F-Lab. name? John Miller the third yep. or something like that. Uh-huh. And he has 22 pass attempts, and they all were in the 30-3 to blowout loss to Oregon State in their bowl game. Yep. Uh, where the saddest field goal I've ever seen took place. <laughs> Did not get shut out. They kicked this. To keep their streak alive of not getting shut out. That's pathetic. Yeah. Yeah, really That's is. pathetic. And the f- I'll be honest. I was kind of all in on giving Billy Napier some time. I think the situation at Florida was way worse than people thought. Yep. But when I saw that happen, no, absolutely not all the way out. He's going to be a total <laughs> failure. Do not just try to kick a field goal to keep your to keep your shutout season alive. I get it. No, I mean, I think it's interesting that you, you bring up Casey Thompson because, of course, last year when he was entering the portal, I think it was last year when he was entering the portal, um, he was that guy out of Texas that – Auburn was interested in. And so, um, you know, I think that there has at least been some conversations between him and Auburn before. Uh, So we'll see what he chooses. But I could see this as being the guy that, you know, Hugh Freeze mentioned yesterday. He said maybe there's a guy that enters the portal tomorrow or next week. And I think that's probably a nod at it. But. Um, you know, it's just it, it tells you. I think Auburn's interested, and I think Casey Thompson is interested too. I mean, I for all we work. know, this isn't the only quarterback that we're going to see sure. hit the portal here uh, in the coming, I guess, forty-eight hours. But let's head to the phone line if you want to call in. Call in at three three four three two one thirteen ninety to be on the show or give your thoughts or opinions or questions. But we're going to head to the phone line. Terry is on the line. Terry, welcome in. How are you? I'm great, Carl. How are you and Jack done? 
We're doing great. Good, we're man. doing great. We're 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 hey. locking it down with Jacob uh, going to a concert. Oh, is that what he's doing? Apparently, yes. That's what I've been told. Okay. Yeah, they got their <laughs> they got their second string in here, Terry. No, <laughs> um, no. Uh, why in the world would Auburn want a football player? Like, I don't know anything about this guy, but why in the world would you want anybody that wants wanted by Brian Harson? <laughs> That's a good point. It's yeah. a it's a really good I mean, point. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying he would be a good fit and a great player, but why in the world would you want somebody he was looking at? Yeah, well, and I, I think here's the and, he, and here's the counter to that. I do think that this, this Casey Thompson guy is going to be somebody that fits what Hugh Freeze tries to do on offense. And Good so point. I've got I, one word for you. We'll bring it. Accuracy. Well, yeah. Something that, that Casey Thompson has a heck of a lot more of than TJ Finley, than Holden Gurner, who we've barely seen throw the football, than Robbie Ashford, who's a 47% passer. And even this, I mean, I'll bring this up, but, you know, there were players, I mean, Brian Harson wanted Quay Rusal, James Smith, Caleb Williams when he was in the portal. Define I mean, wanted. Well, there's a difference between wanted and like actually putting forth the effort to try to, to land have, somebody. Exactly. Yeah. And so, I mean, in in theory, we we all heard these rumors about Quinn Ewers when he was in the portal when Brian Harson was here. Mm-hmm. I mean, cool. I understand, guys. This time I asked T.J. Finley was going to be the starter. And the, the, I, I don't understand anybody's line of thinking. You know, it, it's, it's, there's plenty of proof out there now at two schools this guy is a disaster. So how soon can we get a guy and how soon can he hit the road? Because that's what he's going to do and that's what he needs to do. I mean, I think if, if Casey Thompson were to commit to Auburn, I think you'd see pretty soon thereafter T.J. Finley um, pulling the – the the eject button or whatever it is or hitting the the, the eject button and hitting the portal shoot. again yep. uh trying to trying trying to get out of here but i mean terry you can want something all you want like i want a billion dollars and a and a maserati but uh you know mm-hmm. i mean i actually have to put in the work to get that and uh, that's I'll something brian i mean brian harson can tell you i mean he wanted arch manning cool like he doesn't put in the effort to go get it yeah that's that's what that's what my point was, Terry. Is is kind of who doesn't want some of these guys? And I know Casey Thompson's not the name that is going to be, you know, he's the five star that everybody wants. But I mean, I think there are quarterbacks out there that would work for any system, really. And I think Thompson can do that. He's accurate. He's got some mobility to him. And so I, I think this would be a, a pretty good move for Auburn. I tell you what, I really like him being coached by Hugh Freeze rather than the previous staff. <laughs> I mean, people forget something. He forgot guys quarterbacks with some mobility. They don't have to be a true runner. Yeah. People forget that. They, they automatically think he wants a guy that just can rush for 1,000 yards. It's not true. Yeah, yeah. He just yeah, wants some guy point. with some mobility. That's a great point. Yeah. Bo Wallace. Bo Wallace. Bo Wallace. Bo Wallace is not a better athlete than Casey Thompson. And mm. and Bo Wallace was mobile enough to – all you have was to it, do is be somewhat of a threat. Was it Chad Kelly? Uh, Hugh Freeze guy? Yes, Chad yeah. Kelly was yeah. a Hugh Freeze guy. And I guess he also brought in Shea Patterson. Uh, uh-huh. for. I don't think he got the chance to really coach Shea Patterson. But he brought him in. Uh, yes. Chad Kelly, uh, in his time at Ole Miss, man, these numbers are unbelievable. He was a he was 298 for 458 in his first year for 4,042 yards, 31 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. Year two. I think there were some injury issues. He missed a bunch of time. 205 of 328, 2,758 yards. So he threw 130 fewer passes. That's why you see the 1,300 fewer yards. 
19 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. He wasn't a super mobile guy, but he ran for 500 yards his first year at Ole Miss and 10 rushing touchdowns. So we're talking about a guy who had 4,500 yards of offense, was a 65% passer, and had 41 touchdowns. Bo Wallace, you look at his stats at Ole Miss, he was right at 63% for his career at Ole Miss, 2,994 yards in year one, 22 touchdowns, 17 interceptions, 3,346 in year two, uh, 18 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, 3,194 in year three, 22 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. He ran for 390 and eight touchdowns, 355 and six touchdowns, and 199 and five touchdowns. He was not a crazy mobile guy, but he was effective enough to have to be a threat, and you see that by the fact that across three years he had 19 rushing touchdowns. Yeah, you have to know that mobility threat is there to make a defense be aware of it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be something to beat you, but it can beat you if they take it away. Um, you know, there's, there's people take away different parts of different offenses. I always said this. Remember, remember, remember back in 13 when McMarshall had two losses, 11 and 2, right? Mm-hmm. Next year, Gus Malzahn made him a six-loss quarterback. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, 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 mean, I mean, yeah, that's fair. I mean, I think there are other factors there. You lost some significant pieces. I mean, you lost Trey Mason. You lost Greg Robinson. You lost... Um, Plenty of pieces off that 2013 team. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not. I'm not laying that totally, but that's the that that's not two losses to six losses. I'm sorry, it's just not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're looking uh, at the trend there, and I think that's a good point. Is that Nick Marshall definitely threw the ball around more? I will say he's a much better passer. Yeah, he definitely was. Um, and he had Duke Williams was in love with what he wanted, not what he needed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, you you saw. That Iron Bowl performance was one of the That's most fascinating things I've ever seen. Dude went crazy in the Iron Bowl and he couldn't get On any both defense. Sides. Yeah, yeah. And and I, guys, I got a suggestion for Brian Harson. Can we change his last name to Hostess because he really is a ding dong? Take care, guys. <laughs> Appreciate it, Terry. <laughs> that was Terry on the line. If you want to call in, call in at three three four three two one thirteen ninety. Yeah, I'm looking back at that 2014 Iron Bowl. We, do, we don't appreciate how nuts Nick Marshall went. Didn't he? In that th- game. Was it for some reason six hundred yards pops in my head? Is that the total yards on offense? No, he had he or for for Auburn in for the Auburn, game. Yeah, yes, yeah. That's what I thought. Auburn, Auburn went for six hundred. Uh, by my count here, six hundred thirty yards of offense. Uh-huh. Outgained Alabama by ninety yards and lost fifty-five to forty-four. Nick Marshall had 49 yards on the ground. And a butt-ton of yards He had had 500 yards offense by himself. My gosh. He was 27 of 43 in that game, 456, three touchdowns, one interception. That was that 2014 Alabama offense, too. And these were the receivers for Auburn and what they did. Sammy Coates, five catches, 206, two touchdowns. Duke Williams on a sprained MCL, seven for 121. Yeah. Also, keep in mind, I was at that game. I saw it. Auburn ran a little comeback with Sammy Coach to the front pylon, and I swear to you, he dropped four touchdowns. <laughs> he, he could not catch the comeback to the front pylon, and Gus and Auburn kept running it, and Nick, who had a cannon, kept putting a heck of a lot of zip on it, and it kept going right through the hands. Yeah, yeah. Right through the hands. That would have been... If Auburn, Sammy Coach could have had five touchdowns in that game and two hundred and 
70 yards. And we'd be talking about an all-time great Iron Bowl performance. All-time great single-game Auburn performance. Yeah, there's a few of those in the Gus Malzahn era that something in the game goes incredibly well. And the only reason that it doesn't end up in a win is because the other side of things played so poorly. And in that game, you had defense that just did not get up for you. 55 points for Alabama in that one. Daniel Carlson kicked five field goals. And I think they, almost all of them, at least four of them, are from inside the 10-yard line. Yeah, yeah. Auburn just could could not not punch in in the end zone. And that was a game where, um, I think you opened the game throwing a swing pass to Rock Thomas. And he fumbles. And he just gives up on the play. Didn't, uh, am I crazy that Daniel Thomas had two picks in that game, or was that two years later? That was two years later. That was the uh, 2016 game. Um, I believe Blake right? Sims threw three picks in the game. How about that? We we're reminiscing about I random can't stuff. Even Rudy Ford had a pick. Jermaine Whitehead had a pick. Jonathan Jones had a pick. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Yeah. All Daniel the, Thomas had one, had two. I think in 2016. Man, this one this one hurts. Auburn had a 26-21 lead at halftime, and I remember with my dad, with some of my brother's friends as well, just looking at him, being like, "We're gonna win this game. <laughs> We're gonna win this game." They had a two-score lead at some at one point in the second quarter, I think. Uh, maybe so. Maybe, maybe so. No, no, no. But, uh, it was in the third quarter because they were up 33-21. I remember that score very vividly. It was in the uh, third quarter because Auburn came out and scored first. I think on, yeah. a, on a Sammy Coach touchdown. Quan Bray touchdown. Quan Bray, okay. But, yes. Excuse me. Uh, Sammy looks like he had both of his touchdowns in the first half. He had a 34 and a 68-yard touchdown okay. catch in, yeah. the, for, in the second quarter. Um, but yeah, let's let's move on from this. Yes, this, this this is depressing me now to think about being. I, I was in, I was in the upper deck in the end zone, and when that state and this is back when Bryant Denny was could be loud in big games and was loud uh, in this one because I guess 2013 had just happened and Alabama's looking to play for a national championship. Yeah. Um, and when it gets really loud in Bryant Denny, the upper deck sways, and I just remember looking at my dad being like. I don't want to die when in this stadium <laughs> if this thing collapses on us. We're gonna win, and no. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was it You're was tough. Kidding. But yes, Auburn is Auburn is looking to the portal right now. Casey Thompson just hit the portal. Uh, it's certainly going to be interesting to see uh, how heavy Auburn pursues him, and uh, could he be the starting quarterback in twenty twenty three? We need to hit our first break of hour number two. We come back. We will continue this conversation, and we're sitting on some. Some potential news out there, and we're just waiting for it to break right now. So hopefully that happens here soon. You are on the line on ESPN 1067, online at ESPNAU.com, or on the ESPN 1067 app. Welcome back to the Friday edition of On the Line here in the Auburn Network studio. Carter Bird at the controls. Uh, at the at the host microphone with my good buddy across the way from me, Jack Hudden, our normal Friday second hour guest. How are you, my friend? I'm good, buddy. How are you? Man, I, I guess we fantastic. didn't have, did we have that interaction. We didn't have the interaction. No, so we we had to wait till three what three twenty to get that done. But yeah. Um, so if if that was what you were tuning in to hear today on the line, you had to wait a little while to get it. But uh, hey, man, glad to be on. Glad I could do it. That, yeah, hey, it's great to have you in, buddy. Because uh, we're sitting, we're sitting on go for some news here. We're sitting on go. 
what broke earlier today, the this is Auburn basketball news, by the mm-hmm. way, transfer yeah. portal news. Tyron Lawrence, the Vanderbilt uh, guard, kind of forward. He's six foot four, one hundred ninety pounds. Uh, last year for Vanderbilt was a thirteen point one point per game guy, four point four rebound guy, and one point seven assists. He shot fifty point two percent from the field, thirty six percent from three, uh, and seventy four point three percent at the free throw line. Um, he's on campus, yeah, for his official visit. And it was almost out of the blue. I mean, this morning it was like, oh, think, he's on I think it had been something that they'd been working on I think on for so, too. And I think more of the – I think it was more out of the blue for the fan base because you really hadn't heard a whole lot about him. I think, I think, I think Bruce and the staff decided at a certain point in this portal period to be like, you know what, we're just going to lock down information and we're just going to go to work and people are going to find out when they find out. Yeah. And I think that's what has started to happen. Well, Tyron Lawrence, on his visit, <laughs> posts on uh, his Instagram story the time 2.45 p.m. and says, who can make me a quick commitment post? Not for me, for a well, yeah, Because it was oh, Chris no, no, Moore. Was Chris Moore, apologies. Yeah, it was Chris Moore that did I that. I thought it was Tyron Lawrence. And so we're, we're, we are taking that to mean Chris Moore's talking about Tyron Lawrence being committed to Auburn. Now, we don't know, we don't, we still don't know that, but that's what we believe is happening, correct, Carter? Am I, am I right about that? <laughs> I mean, I think it certainly points that way. <laughs> I mean, who else would. Chris Morby, I mean, I guess Matthew Cleveland in theory. I guess. I mean, that's, he's really the only other guy Regardless, you've had on campus. It points to there may be um, some sort of news that could come out here in the immediate future. Yeah. But everybody got geared up for, for this 245 announcement, and here we are at 324. We still don't have one yet. Yeah, and we'll, we'll, what we can do, I mean... Just kind of running through who this guy is. I mean, he's he's a Vanderbilt transfer. Um, put his name in the NBA draft, I think, a couple of weeks ago, and then decided to come back to college and um, enter the portal. He's uh, he's a wing, and but he's he's going to be kind of in that two three mold. Um, and the way that I envision this guy really is, he reminds me a lot of what Samir Doughty did for Auburn. Uh, he's a longer, he's kind of a longer guard that does play that three position, but. Um, in the Auburn offense, he's going to do what Samir Doughty really did. Is um, like I just said, play that, play that yeah. kind of almost a three guard, if you will, um, position. I do think Auburn could be in the market to continue going after um, another three or a four guy that maybe has a little bit more size to him because I think they're going to need some help on the rebounding yeah. front. And so that makes me wonder. Well, I'm, I'm of the belief that Cheney Johnson. And Jalen Williams have your four position locked down. Yeah. You know, Chris Moore's back. We still somehow don't know what the status of Alan Flanagan is. The last thing we heard is he's weighing his options yeah, from Bruce I'm, Pearl. I'm not too sure. I mean, I think it was Matthew Cleveland who yesterday he was on a visit to Auburn, and there was some quote that he, I believe, told Auburn live that was essentially saying, since they're not going to have any depth next year at the three position or something like that. It's a, it's a place to come in and start right away. Um, it, it was something, it was some sort of nod to, 
yeah, they told me Flanagan's gone, and I'm and I would be coming in and filling his. Spot. I don't see a scenario where Alan Flanagan would be back on this roster. I think I think I've said on the show before if I had to just gut feeling rank his options, I lean pro yeah. as first option. I lean transferring to Ole Miss as second option, and I view the least likely of options being returning to Auburn. Yeah, I think he could. If he were to go somewhere, maybe like I think he could be go be successful overseas somewhere because I think he's got the athleticism and the size to be able to do that. Um, I'm not sure he's an NBA talent, at least at this point. Um, I think he's still got some things that he needs to work on with his game that he could probably do overseas if he chooses to go maybe to an Ole Miss where his where his dad is now. Um, you know, that's it's just it's another year and in. A program that is going to be, to me, Carter, it, it's a little bit lower than where he would have been at Auburn. It's almost a, a slight step down. It's still the SEC, and it's still, you know, essentially, I know there's no divisions in basketball anymore, but the SEC West. Um, but he's, to me, he's not going to be able to get, you know, the same style of play that he would be able to get out of Bruce Pearl offense to kind of showcase his abilities, not just as a guard, but as this semi wing slash forward sort of player, and so I don't know. It's it's interesting, but I, I just don't. I mean, see... I guess it's playing for your dad. It's playing for Chris Beard. Uh, it's continuing your college career, and I. I mean, there's always more factors than just state of the program. Yeah. I mean, could his minutes be different? Could he be a thirty minute thirty minute guy at Ole Miss, where at Auburn, with the way the portal appears to be moving, he'd be a 22 23 24 minute guy right and i guess what i guess it looking at it maybe he's saying yeah this is another sec school that i can go to that i can have the same role that i've had in previous years because i'm not going to have that same role at auburn so i I think i can see that yeah Yeah, I, i i think that that's probably the most likely i've I'm very interested to see how the rest of this shakes out just because it feels like basketball's moving quicker. Yeah. It feels like basketball is always on the move. Stuff is shaking loose every few days, which is interesting because, like, I don't know exactly where we are in the 60-day portal window, but, like, it's a 60-day window, and football is 15, and there's, like, 48 hours left. Yeah. Yeah. It's that. That's and that's such a weird thing because I mean if you're going to hear news about you know Casey Thompson who just entered the portal you're going to hear it in the next couple of days I mean it's it's going to be really tough for Auburn to go out and get somebody else I mean it's kind of like if you're waiting on somebody to to jump in and then to build a relationship with them you're not going to be able to do that I mean you're going to have to get real lucky so you know I think Auburn already at least knows Casey Thompson there's been people in the building that have already talked to him I'm sure. And I don't want to, you know, call it tampering or anything, but people talk. I'm sure that there have been some conversations behind the scenes if Auburn was interested already. And so, you know, I just I think that this is probably the guy that, unless there's somebody else, they're putting their putting a lot of eggs in this basket. Here's something for you. So Casey Thompson was at Nebraska last year. Michael Riley Ducker quote tweeted the announcement of him going in the portal. Do we know where Michael Riley Ducker is from? Omaha, Nebraska. Nebraska. So I bet you it feels like Michael Riley Ducker has been in contact in some capacity. We need to hit our second.
second break of our number one. We come back. We will continue to talk Auburn football, maybe a little Auburn basketball as well. You are on the line with Jacob Goertz and Carter Bird on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Welcome back to the Friday edition of On the Line here in the Auburn Network studio. Carter Bird joined by my good buddy, Jack Hutton. Uh, we are not joined by Jacob Goins as he is on the road to a concert in Alpharetta. But we've been talking a lot about the basketball transfer portal, Auburn. They've got Tyron Lawrence on campus for a visit. Matthew Cleveland was on a, on a visit this past week. Um, Jack, before we transition to to football, I want to ask you, of the two guys that have been on campus this week, how do you see them fitting into this Auburn roster? And if you had to tier them in terms of guys you want, which would they be? And could you take both? This is this is a difficult question because I think they are. I mean, they're they're obviously they're different in style versus how they play. You know, um, I think for Lawrence, if you're looking at him again, I liken him a lot to what Samir Doughty did at Auburn. He is a longer three guard, if you want to call it that. Matthew Cleveland, on the other hand, he's bigger. Um, he's going to probably help out rebounding wise more, and um, he's he's going to Cleveland's going to have to, I guess, create more with uh, off the ball movement. Whereas I think Tyron Lawrence would be good at being able to create his own shot a lot better. Um, you know, I, I think to me, I think you're trying to get them both because if you're looking at Lawrence, you're saying, okay, we've got now Lawrence, we've got Jones at the two, we've also got KD. And so you've got your guard rotation nailed down then. But you're still needing somebody at the three to give you some sort of physicality. I know you've got Chris Moore back there, but Matthew Cleveland's going to be a guy who can come in and, I mean, he could probably give you 10 points a game or so. I mean, I know he had 13 at Florida State. He was having to do a lot of it on his own, really. And so can he give you a 10 points a game? I mean, that's just another piece that you can add. And yes. to me, I think you're I think you're trying to get them both. Now, Fair. Is there somebody else that Auburn could want in the portal? That that remains to I be mean, seen. We have thir- I just looked it up. Thirteen more days of the basketball portal. Yeah, basketball portal is just perpetually open. So I mean, Never maybe closes. unlike football, where it's like, hey, we're gonna make this just fifteen days, and we're gonna place it at the most inconvenient time for everybody. For the athletes is the reason why they say it. Such a Bad, yeah. stupid choice by the NCAA. Well, and you you say so. You know how do they fit in? I do think we're seeing a little bit of a resurgence towards what that Final Four team was. You're seeing this staff go out and get shooters now. I mean, Denver Jones, one of the best shooters in the country from behind the arc. Matthew Cleveland is a 35 percent shooter as a three. I think he's 35 right at yes, it. Yes, he's right um, at 35. Tyron Lawrence was he's like right at 36. 36. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so these are guys that are proven commodities beyond the three point arc. You've got you know Trey Donaldson last year went nuts in the NCAA tournament, made like nine for nine or whatever it was. But he ended the year as a 40 percent shooter. So can he keep that sort of pace with a lot more volume? I think you're going to have a much better shooter at Aiden Holloway. And then I think uh, yes. And then I think really, 
You're telling me the point guard might shoot better than 27% from three or 28% from three? (laughs) I think so. And And then might not take 15 of them if he's not shooting it that well? Well, and then Chaney Johnson, who just committed to you, is also in the upper 30s in three-point percentage with the three-point field. Yeah, over his career, he's like 36, 37%. Uh, Denver Jones right at 37%. You're adding, I mean, for a team that shot 31.5% from three, all of these guys are definite upgrades. Yes. Uh, And, I mean... I think we you're saw Katie see Johnson it. fix his shot at the end of the year and went to almost fifty percent. Yeah, if he could be that. I, if, dude, I, I think you're going to see a resurgence of that run and gun shoot the ball team because I, I mean, think that's what they're going towards. For all we know, Trey Donaldson's not going to miss another three for the rest of his life. <laughs> he f- made his last nine to finish the year, yeah. nine in the NCAA tournament. I mean, I'd take that. Yeah, I'd take that group right now. This feels like. There may not be anything, any moves that you're like, holy cow, absolute home run, unbelievable, what, wow, like, you're not landing landing uh, Hunter Dickinson mm-hmm. in the portal. You're not landing a giant name, giant fish like that. But these are a bunch of really good, yeah. really solid pickups, and collectively, I think this team, if if we ran this past year's team out against the current state of this roster. I think the current state of this roster whoops last year's team. As, assuming that you get some of these guys that you think you're going to get, Tyron Lawrence. I think regardless. And right then now, maybe another win. three. Regardless, right now they would win. Oh, I think they need a three. I think they got to have a three. Because I think, I think I that think, this Auburn, I think that last year's Auburn team, even though, you know, we talk about Alan Flanagan, I think Flanagan does a lot at that three position that Auburn fans don't really realize, especially on defense. And so I, I don't necessarily know that – I don't know. I mean, I, I think that he creates his own shot for Auburn. If they get a three, though, I think you're in business, and I think this Auburn team wildly surpasses last year. And I think yeah. Tyron Lawrence can be that guy. It's just, is he going to commit at some point? We're still waiting on that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think he's going to. I think – I think. I mean, if you get a commitment from by, by That's who I'm Tyron Lawrence, about. if you got Ty, Tyron Lawrence today, I think you could say – 100% if those two teams played each other right now. The the, the, the new squad would win. Yes, I agree with that. Um, by the way, interesting name. Just hit the portal. Uh, at wide receiver, Micah Pittman, uh, the Not former bad, Oregon yeah. and Florida State receiver who's played four years. Over his career, he's caught 70 balls for 877 yards and five touchdowns. Last year, 32 catches, 330, and three touchdowns. Is he related to Michael Pittman Jr. for the Colts? I think so, because seems like he'd be his because his father is Michael Pittman Senior. There you go. Oh yeah, yeah. So Michael Pittman Junior.'s brother—that'd be a nice little gene pool to add to the wide receiver room there. (laughs) I don't think he has the size of his brother. His brother is enormous and a freak athlete. He is five eleven. Okay. Uh, 200 pounds. So, unfortunate that he... It's like Bronny and Bryce James. There's a few, though, of these receivers that are hopping in the portal that I think Auburn is is really mm-hmm. taking a look at. You know, you got the receiver from Colorado, um, which, God, is another storyline. I mean, you're getting Colorado's entire team hopping into the portal. Um, they had that guy, Jordan Hudson, I believe, from TCU that they looked at for a second. I think he wanted to stay closer to home, so he's going to stay around at SMU, likely, but... I think Auburn would like to add has another that got, receiver. Has that gone official yet? I don't think that's gone official, but I mean, I think that you know, I, I, like I think he canceled his official visit or something, didn't he? 
That's I mean, a, just because you cancel it doesn't mean you can't reschedule it. Uh, that's point. a good point. That's a good point. I mean, he could walk in the door and start at Auburn. I promise you that. Well, he could do that. Yeah. He didn't. He didn't really uh, have. I mean, he was 14 catches, 174 yards, three touchdowns as a uh, sophomore last year. He was really highly rated, if I recall correctly, coming out of high school. He's a five star. Five star. Yeah. yeah. It's more about potential with him. Really, I think is going to be. The biggest thing. I mean, thinking you're thinking about your wide receiver room. You've got your two kind of bigger slot receivers. You're gonna have Landon King, Rivaldo Fairweather, and then on the outside, who do you have on the outside now? I mean, may like you got Camden Brown, but then outside him, maybe you know Malcolm Johnson Jr. Maybe. Um. Yeah, it just feels like he gets banged up all the time, doesn't? Yeah, it? really. Uh, I mean, on the outside, I guess you've still got you've got Nick Martiner. Yeah, yeah. Who I don't think I saw a player all spring practice that I heard more conflicting information about than him. <laughs> yeah, maybe Fair. maybe Chick Dawson on that as yeah. well. And you you know he's in the portal um, because. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Right. Um, Chick Dawson, I heard stuff like when they would run drills, when they would go passes on air, like dude's not even working with a third string. Then I heard from somebody that he was probably the most consistent receiver of the spring, which I guess he could be consistently bad and still. That's and a still, great point. Yeah, <laughs> could be and consistently still, uh, mediocre. Be the most consistent <laughs> player on the on in the receiving uh, core. Nick Martiner, though, I heard like, oh, like yeah, no, he's he's running third string, he's dropping balls nonstop, or and then I also heard. He's gonna start. And he's gonna be. A, he's gonna play a big role, and he's he's doing a pretty good job of catching balls away from his body and plucking balls out of the air. And his length, you just can't keep it off the field. So, like, yeah, I don't. I then, have wide receiver is the one position I have zero grasp for. Because well, I'm sitting here thinking about it, and I'm I'm kind of like, okay, if you've got you've got Camden Brown, who you think is going to be really good for you. You haven't seen really the All Star season yet, but we think this could be a breakout. You got your two guys on the inside, Landon King, Rivaldo, Fairweather, who are going to be your bigger body receivers. Nick Marner, of course, is probably another one, but you're going to have him on the outside. So you got those. Now you're looking at Javaris Johnson on the inside, can run the slot. Malcolm Johnson Jr., you haven't really seen a whole lot from him, but we know how fast he is. I think there's potential with this wide receiver room. That's really the the main concern, though, is the fact that we haven't really seen these guys necessarily produce at a high level yet. We've seen flashes, and we think that they're going to be good, and we think that they're able mm-hmm. to step into roles now, but, you know, can that be proven, I guess, is, is really. And, you know, if you've got a guy coming in in Jordan Hudson, I wonder once again. It, I, I've, I've heard a lot of positive things about a guy like Jay Fair. Yeah. Um, I Amari think he Kelly flashed a little one. bit last year. Amari Kelly, I don't remember what game it was. Maybe it was Ole Miss. He had one of the best catches yeah. of the year. The ball gets like he's falling backwards onto his butt as because underthrown. Shocker. The <laughs> Auburn quarterback being off target or yeah. behind or or underthrown. I remember that. Uh, and the DB tips it and he somehow corrals it with one hand falling backwards out of bounds for a catch. And it was just like I think those guys showed enough potential, but they're not known commodities. And yeah. other like you heard about Camden Brown. Camden Brown has a chance to be special. That's what everybody is saying. Okay, so if he's your number one, and Javarius Johnson as a known commodity is your number two, mm-hmm. and I guess Nick Martiner right now, but like, 
I, you, I you think have Fairweather, more depth and more reliable. I mean, f- I think Fairweather is in that mold because he's started guess, at yeah. the collegiate level before. You I don't think, know. But. I, I think he's going to play tight end, H back, wide receiver. Man, I think I, I don't have him locked in at wide receiver. I have him. Yeah. I think he's going to rove, but in my brain, just because that's the position that was listed when he committed it, I have him in the tight end group. And I think he's going to be out wide and catch a lot of balls. It wouldn't shock me if Fairweather led the team in receiving. <laughs> yeah. It wouldn't. No, me neither. I think he's special. I think he's really special, and I think he has a chance to be really, really good at Auburn. Yeah. But just, I mean, looking at the wide receiver room, is is it is the same kind of across the board. It is you got a lot of potential, but you don't really know exactly what you got outside of maybe one or two guys. And so I'm wondering if it's going to be for Auburn, we're bringing in a guy with a lot of potential, or we're bringing in a known commodity that maybe isn't an all-star, but we know has played on the college level before, and he's going to catch the ball when he gets it thrown to him. Yeah, 100%. And, man, I, the, more, the more I think about it, the more just excited I am yeah. for fair weather. Yeah, <laughs> because I think it's something we have not seen. I mean, who's the last tight end player that has had athleticism like this at Auburn? Going back to Philip Lutzen, Kirkin. I think Fairweather. Fairweather's a different guy than than. Oh yeah, I agree. He's bigger. I think he's more athletic. I don't. I like. I like. I think. To be honest, Anthony Mix. And I know Anthony Mix was a wide receiver, but he was six foot five, two hundred forty nine pounds. Yeah, he's big. I mean, Anthony Mix was—it's a daggum shame. He is—he was before his time (laughs) because he would wreck college football and the NFL. Now, yeah, they'd put him in that like tight end hybrid role, and he would dominate, especially (laughs) in a modern weight weight uh, weight program, street strength and conditioning program. Yep. That is, I think about, just like I think about the... the I think about that four times a day. <laughs> I was, you, you're not that wrong. Uh, just like I think about the opening drive of the 2013 National Championship game when FSU blows coverage on, uh, on Ricardo Lewis and he's running a post and it's wide open and mm-hmm. Nick Marshall just has to lob it up front and he can go sit under it and still walk in the end zone. And instead, he tries to put it on him, and he skips it in low behind him. And I think if you score that touchdown there rather than punt, I think by the time the comeback would have started to happen, you would have already broken FSU's will. I think about that once a week. I think about Anthony Mix and what he would look like in modern college football yeah. once a week. Another name that we mentioned earlier in the show that I think could be in that conversation, and he's not really he wasn't a tight end, he was a receiver, but... Duke Williams had that kind of size, and I think that go-get-it play style God, I, to be in that I role. miss him, and I loved him so much. Yeah. I just know that dude had he's, – he's, he came from a very rough background. I think there's a, well, there was a lot of demons there. Yeah. And I think that maybe some anger issues, and we saw that play out over his own career. I think if, he is the most naturally talented receiver I've seen come through Auburn. Naturally talented. Yeah, I mean, at least since you and I have been very consciously aware, I think that I can, I can agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I think... Another, I mean, you there's so many guys. When you, when oh, you go course, through yeah. it, like, missed opportunities for... Very different reasons, and 
like Kyle Davis. Yeah, Kyle Davis would have been special had he could, had he been able to stay out of trouble, mm-hmm. just like Duke Williams. Duke Williams. Duke Williams had the best hands I've seen out of an Auburn receiver in the last twenty years. Catch radius really is is well. It's just I like you, you, you throw it in the area, yeah. and like he may not he may not be the longest guy, but he's gonna he's gonna make the catch. Yeah, I think about that one where like two DBs are converging, and somehow he reaches in there and just rips it out from both of them in the against, end zone. It was like Louisiana Tech or something, something like that, that Auburn was playing, but yeah, that was that was one where Marshall tries to fit it in, it gets tipped, and he reaches back and he pulls it in with one hand. Um, you know, I think about uh, the other one that. I remember with Duke is you know the Alabama game of course in 2014, but then that Mississippi State game in 2014 that Auburn went up and and did all of that jazz. It was just it was rough, but he made some great catches in that one. Um, Carter, I think we need to get. To Let's a break hit our there, last right? break. When we come back, we'll try to go to the phone lines here. But uh, we got one more one more segment here on the Friday edition of On the Line. You are on the line on ESPN 106.7. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll-free at 888-382-7502. Welcome back to the Friday edition of On the Line. Final segment. We're going to throw it to the phone lines really quickly here. So we've got Dak on the line. Dak, welcome in. Hey, guys. Good to hear from you today. Absolutely. It's good It's good to talk to you. What, what do you got for us? Well, I was just listening to you talk about some of the former receivers, Anthony Mix and uh, Duke Williams. And I can tell you, Duke Williams' body was built like Lawyer Tillman. Yeah. And if he, if he had That's the personality and and the mindset like Lawyer, he would have been as great as Lawyer. That's uh, a great comp. Yeah. 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 I, I agree. Was, yeah, I mean, I was lucky enough to be with Lawyer for two seasons. And uh, he, to, to this day, he's the best receiver I've ever seen. Uh, and uh, he, uh, unfortunately, you know, br- the break that he had with the Cleveland Browns, it never would heal right, and didn't have a long NFL career. But uh, but uh, he was a fabulous receiver, man. I never saw him drop a ball. Matter of fact, it came so easy to him. Uh, a lot of times in practice, he would just one hand balls eat like it was nothing. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, Duke Williams' body and ability was a lot a lot like Lawyer Tillman. Yeah, I mean, I, Duke Williams. Will always be one of my like favorite Auburn receivers of my lifetime, and one of, and maybe the biggest what if of like, right. what if he just had been able to keep everything under control during his time and play out his entire career? Yeah, because he had like a couple highlights still, in his time. He'd still here. be in the NFL. I yeah. Think. Oh heck yeah. Oh yeah, you would without a doubt. And uh, you know, and then Anthony Mix, he, he was a good receiver too. I mean, he was uh, he had that stop that type of body that, like you said, could have played tight end yeah. or receiver if he added a little bit of weight. And it might have been to his advantage NFL-wise to have done that. Mix yeah, was mean, a I part mean, of that room that was he brought in. Everybody he brought was in NFL Aroma Shadu, Obamanu, Courtney Taylor. I mean, you had all yeah. those guys that came in at that same at that same uh, spot. I mean, he, he was listed on the roster at Auburn in 05 at 6'5", 248. In modern college yeah. football, he would play an awesome like hybrid tight end. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, I, th- I think I think he was just he was somebody who was before his time. And had we seen seen him at Auburn today, I think that'd be a guy that like Hugh Freeze would just be salivating over. <laughs> oh, sure, he'd be our number one receiver. 
Yeah. I mean, back then, you know, the stable was was pretty full, and he was basically a three four, you know, guy uh, receiver in that in that crowded wide receiver room. Yeah, and so bringing it back to what it means for Auburn this year, I think Carter and I were looking at. I mean, Rivaldo Fairweather kind of fits that mold. I think Landon King does too, but it, I just I wonder how much of a role he's going to have. He may have a big one. He's kind of playing. He's kind of going to be playing that same position as Rivardo Fairweather. It seems well, like, and so right. I agree. I agree with you, and I, I've said this since day one. When it comes to Landon King, if I was his coach and coached him, I would I would encourage him to gain weight and try to play tight end and be that hyper yeah. row. I just don't think he's a wide receiver. I think I uh, think uh, you had. You had Brian Harson and company really jack up his development by trying to get him to lose weight. I think that was a mistake. Dak, yeah, we, no, we, no, we, no, we, no, we got to go, no. man. A- a- appreciate you calling in. Enjoy the conversation. That's going to do it for the Friday edition of On the Line. Jack, thank you for joining me as appreciate always on, it, buddy. on a Friday. And uh, coming up next, The Drive with Bill Cameron.